Welcome to the second episode of the Drop the Hammer podcast. I'm Ted Rodquist. Joining me is my co-host, Ben Sheeran. Ben, how's it going? Hey, it's going good. How are you doing today, Ted? Doing well, doing well. We had a interesting weekend, to, to say the least, with the 500. Uh, got a lot to get into with that race and then the new package at Atlanta here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Daytona 500, it was... Uh, for all the uh, nervousness we had uh, throughout the week, it uh, it lived up to the hype of being the Daytona 500. That's for sure. It sure did. And when we when we start with the 500, there talking about just some some guys that exceeded our expectations. Uh, the guy that really jumps out for me, even though he got caught up in the big one, there was was Matt Di Benedetto. I mean, I think he you know had a great day. He actually led the most laps of any driver, 49 of them, and. He he looks primed for a big year. The positivity around him and the '95 team right now is awesome. Yeah, he had a huge day. Um, I I absolutely agree with you. I think he could have absolutely won that race, um, barring getting taken out in that big wreck. I think he had a big day. I actually want to give a shout out to uh, William Byron too. I think William Byron deserves some credit on the day he had. Um, he I think he had the second most led laps. I know he led around. Um, 30 to 40 laps in that race but you know even even in the end when he got taken out in that last uh big wreck he uh him and chase elliott were starting to make some waves and it looked like that william byron had a car that could easily go from the back to the front he just got kind of shuffled out there a few times with eric jones having some problems and they got caught up in the big wreck and then got taken out in the second big wreck which just absolutely um, filled his day but i think he had a really good car and i think if we're going to go on overreactions based off one race, I think William Byron's going to have a pretty good season this year, too. Oh, I can definitely agree with that. Definitely agree. And another guy was, was your eliminator pick last week, Michael McDowell. I mean, he you know had a little post-race dust-up with Logano about about not pushing him there at OT. But, you know, he, he Logano ended up fourth, McDowell fifth. So it really didn't make that much of a difference. But, you know, a top five in the Daytona 500, that's a real solid start to the season for – for McDowell and Front Row Motorsports. And a huge purse for a team that really doesn't have a big budget, so that's going to be good for them and their uh, whole finance and that stuff. Uh, usually some of those teams, they, they use this race as kind of a huge part of their budget, so it's it's good for them to get a um, good purse like that. But absolutely, I think Michael McDowell, like I said in the in the uh, show, he knows how to take care of his stuff. Um, just the comments with Joey Logano at the end, I don't know. I just feel like that's Joey Logano complaining that he didn't win and Joe Gibbs got the best of him you know he's had that rivalry with that whole team since uh they kind of ousted him back in uh 2012 but i i really don't see what the big deal is like like mcdowell was saying in his media interviews he was kind of getting bullied by team penske you know roush all the big guys were kind of throwing him out and getting every chance they could to hang him out the dry so you know he didn't see why it was a big deal for him to go for the position and try to see if he could put himself in position to win the daytona 500 Right, right, and like I saw saw a quote from him. You know, I'm I'm not here to help Joey Logano win races, and and overall, I mean, I I agree with his point. Like Logano was upset, but at the same time, you've got an opportunity to go win go win the Daytona 500 yourself, and I don't fault him for thinking that way at all. I think guy we haven't talked about is Ryan Priest. I yep. mean, he absolutely he cold trickled it through two wrecks, two or three of them, and then. <laughs> Ended up finishing in the top 10 in his, I think it's his fourth or fifth cup start, but his first meaningful cup start he's had in his career. And 
talk about him, you know, this was a guy where I was kind of, you know, unsure. Well, maybe he should have tried to see if he could stay at Gibbs and maybe something opens up for that, him. And I didn't know how JTG Daughtry Racing would be this year. But overall, he had a really good race, and hopefully it's a sign for things to come for him this year. Yeah, it was his first cup action since, since I believe, 2015. I mean, finished eighth, ran as high as third. I mean, it was a very, very promising start for Ryan Priest. I'm glad you, you brought him up. And then transitioning to, to the wrecks, I mean, I know Paul Menard took took the blame for, for the big one there for turning Di Benedetto out and, you know, ended up being a, a huge pileup. I've, you know, Jeff Gluck said 19. Other people have said 21 cars, you know. Austin Dillon, Chase Elliott, Ryan Blaney. It's just it's just kind of noticed that it's become a reoccurring theme at Daytona, some of the wrecks we've seen over the last couple of years. Yeah, the first 180 laps, they kept it clean for the most part. <laughs> yeah, and then yeah. all of a sudden, with 20 to go, I, I forget who it was, but I think it was Kyle Busch who actually said they lost their brains or everyone turned their brains off. I mean, they just – it wasn't a Paul Menard's fault. And it was pretty uh, coincidental that Paul Menard caused the big one after he gave Jimmy Johnson a lot of crap in the uh, clash for yep. taking him out. Um, but, you know, I, it's just that stuff's going to happen in the Cup Series, um, even in the Truck Series. I, I think we'll get to it a little later. But, uh, you know, just with how aggressive these guys get at the end of it with pushing and making blocks and that stuff and trying to make moves, it's just going to happen in, nowadays. And I think – while everyone just kind of, you know, kind of complains about it at the end, it's going to happen. That's this the, with the new playoff system. This is a prime opportunity for guys who may not be able to get the chance to get wins. Take, for example, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. He has two wins in play tracks, and that's his only two wins. You know, this is an opportunity for guys that, you know, may not run up at the front every week to uh, get a win, and especially to call yourself a Daytona 500 champion. I think you're just going to on seeing this stuff yeah and one one of the coolest stories of the day though was what a day for for joe gibbs racing i mean you know just five months after joe's son jd team president passed away for them to finish one two three of hamlin bush and jones that was that was a really cool story just just seemed like it was meant to be and they were my clear team winner of the day yeah, um, that was super cool. Uh, kind of going with the team thing, I'm I'm really interested to hear your opinion on the Kyle Busch, Denny Hamlin. I'm not, I'm not saying it's team orders, but the Kyle Busch's decision to let Denny Hamlin down in in front of him on that final restart, um, especially because Denny Hamlin wanted to race, I believe, the previous restart. Um, I for Kyle Busch, I I don't know if I would have done that if I was him. You know, it would have made him look like the bad guy. But let's be honest, Kyle Busch hasn't had many chances to win the Daytona 500. His best shot in 2008, he led like he led most of the race, ended up getting shuffled out at the end, and never could really get back up there. And right here in 20, uh, 2019, he was leading with a couple laps to go, and ended up getting passed when that wreck with Boyer and all those guys happened. He ended up getting passed uh, at the caution flag, battling side by side with Hamlin. So, you know. I think Kyle Busch is going to lose some sleep over that decision for a while just because, you know, that's that's what Kyle Busch needs. That win is the thing he needs to really put him on that next level as a driver with reputation. You know, 
kind of going over to IndyCar, his kind of counterpart, Will Power. He's, they're both kind of the villains, but when Will Power won the Indy 500 last year, you could just feel it that the stature of his reputation just absolutely went up. And I don't know how much, how many more chances Kyle Busch is going to get to, to be able to win the 500, but I think he's going to lose some sleep over uh, Lang Denny Hamlin down uh, in that final restart. Yeah, and you know, I actually wrote a wrote a piece on that earlier this week. How you know Kyle Busch coming into into this weekend was 0 for 13, now 0 for 14 in the Daytona 500. So, you know, he he literally has a trophy case with a spot reserved for for this trophy. And to see that he wasn't an opportunity to make it happen, it was really su- surprising. And we saw a more toned down Kyle Busch, usually ultra competitive. When asked about that decision to, you know, to agree to let Hamlin in front of him in the overtime restart there, when asked about it after the race, he was a real team player about it. He was like, you know, it was all about getting a JGR car to victory lane. So that was kind of a a different than usual Kyle Busch than we're used to seeing. But you're right. I don't know how many more opportunities he's going to get. I mean, at least a couple more because he's still one of the best in the sport. But he was so close to capturing that, that elusive 500 trophy this year and really kind of did, you know, not, you know, kind of did back down from it a bit. But you know, still finish second, you know, great start to the season. He's going to be there right till the end like he always is. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, I. it's just Kyle Busch has been, I wouldn't say he's at Dale Earnhardt levels of bad luck, but he's had some bad luck in years where he could have won the Daytona 500. 2017 with that car, that tire cutting down when he was in the lead. Um, 2015, he had like the best car all week and then he broke his leg. So, I'm, you know, I'm not sure – you know, how he's going to be able to move forward or if he's, you know, when he retires, if he doesn't win an eight ton of 500, I think he might look at this one and say, well, maybe I should erase my teammate, but I can understand his uh, reasoning behind uh, Raymond Hamlin, but we'll just see how that works out for him. Maybe in the Daytona 500, it'll be something to talk about next year, I guess. <laughs> right. Right. And then other than, than Joe Gibbs, you know, Penske had an okay day. They had, Two guys in the finishing the top twelve: Logano at number four, Keselowski at twelve. You know, Blaney was running pretty well before the, before he wrecked, and then Hendrick, their best was Jimmy Johnson at ninth. I mean, so other than other than Joe Gibbs, none of those teams, Stuart Haas either. None of them really had great days. Yeah, well, talk about not having good days. I mean, the Fords after basically being dominant earlier in the week and. You know, being the favorite coming into the this week, we're just unheard of on Sunday. There was an alleged pack between Hendrick and Joe Gibbs, which worked out pretty good. You saw Toyotas and Chevys um, out front for, you know, good part of the mid-half of the race. And the Fords really just weren't a factor. Talk about Brad Keselowski, a guy who had some of the highest odds to win that race and win the best play tracker. He was unheard of in the Daytona 500. You know, you didn't even see him up front. Right. He managed to get a 12th position, but really it's because he kind of got up into a couple wrecks and what wasn't really damage, that much damage where he could kind of motor home and puts his way around to that. So that was yeah. that was actually my one of my losers was Brad Keselowski. Um, but Fords in general, they just, yeah, they didn't look good. I had Brian Blaney in there. And he won a stage, but really besides that, I really didn't see many Fords. It was really just Joey Logano and then against Toyota. That was about it. 
Yeah, I I would I would agree. I would agree. Keselowski, we just there wasn't a whole lot going on. You're right. We didn't hear much about him, and it seems like the reason he was able to even get up into twelve is yeah, because he was just able to avoid avoid damage that other drivers weren't able to avoid. Which sometimes that's the name of the game. And to look at just a, a bigger picture, you know, rumor here that heard on a you know Dale Junior radio, rumor that. NASCAR is considering schedule changes. That's that's nothing new, but we did get some specifics that they're considering making the Daytona 500 not the season opening race and possibly con- concluding the regular season at Daytona. I'm on its surface not in favor of this change. I like having the 500 as a season opening race, starting it with a bang. So... I would really need to get more on how it would really look if we were to move things around. I think you should either start the season or end the season with the 500. It's just that great of a race. I'm curious, how do you feel about potentially moving some of these races around? You know, I'm actually, um, I actually really don't mind if they move the Daytona 500 um, and well, not really move it, but like not have it as the first race. Um, back in the 80s, they used to have Riverside, California as the first race of the year. And, you know, I think it could be interesting if they kind of do that same thing and maybe go to Sonoma as the first race of the year and place it in a way where it's the same weekend as the Pro Bowl for the NFL. Maybe maybe make it a Saturday afternoon race. Who knows? Just have it a one-off race and then kind of move up the Daytona 500 festivities a week. You kind of do like the clash and qualify maybe the Saturday before the Super Bowl. That will get you maybe gets you some uh, positive, positive media you know attention, give you something to look forward to, and then you run the Daytona 500 the week after the Super Bowl. That that kind of uh kind of accomplishes a couple things. That uh, one will shorten the schedule, which is going to be a huge, huge um, agenda for NASCAR when they have this big schedule change either in 2020 or 2021 um that just you're able to start the season earlier you know there's between the pro bowl and the super bowl really there's there's just anonymous coverage and there's just too much competitive coverage with football and even at that point being a big football fan myself i kind of just i'm ready for the daytona 500 let's get the super bowl done do the daytona 500 so i think that would be a good move for NASCAR. You think you'll have your Cleveland Browns playing into February next year? <laughs> I wouldn't say next February. Hopefully in a couple of Februarys, they'll get, they'll get the monkey off their back. Right. I mean, they, they got Baker Mayfield, so so that's a good start. But, uh, you know, I'll let you take this however you want to take it when we talk about the Folds Honor Quick Trip 500 at Atlanta Motor Speedway here. Just a couple uh, couple notes I want to make first. Uh, you know, Spire Motorsports going to make their solo debut in this race with the number 77 car, Garrett Smithley is going to drive it. I mean, they, they teamed up with Chip Ganassi to field that car for Jamie McMurray in the Daytona 500, but this is going to be their, their solo debut. And then the other thing, uh, Parker Kilgerman, he's running his second straight race for Gaunt brothers racing in the 96. So, you know, we got the, the new arrow package, um, you know, a couple smaller notes there. Cause it's not likely that uh Smithley or, Kilgerman's going to be winning this race. I mean, possible, but not likely. So what are you looking for here at Atlanta? Yeah, um, I, I don't, I'm not sure what we're going to get. This is the big unknown. It's the week where everyone's kind of 
just as anxious as we were last week, not knowing how the racing was going to be. Um, the uh, package this week, so there's different aspects of the new tapered spacer package. The tapered spacer is going to be put on the engine, restricting horsepower at all races. It doesn't matter what track. Um, but the horsepower and the um, brake ducts, which will cool, put air to the brakes and essentially cool them, uh, will be interchanged throughout which track. Uh, this week, we're going to go to Atlanta with 550 horsepower. So you'll be seeing speeds um, like we had at Charlotte last year. So they'll be run, topping off at around, by themselves, probably around 170 or so. Um, and there's no brake ducts. So in theory, the drivers are going to have to use more brakes as the tires wear. And mm -hmm. that's a, uh, this is just a dumbed down version. I have no idea how the race is going to go, but um, I think it's going to be a little bit more spread out racing just because of the tire wear, you know, despite what Kyle Busch said about this package, taking the skill out of the drivers, I think um, it's still going to come down to managing tires and managing your brakes and, you know, just be a war of attrition almost. Uh, but I think I think it's going to be really tough to pass this year in Atlanta, and that's going to be a bummer because they had a really good race last year, even though Kevin Harvick dominated it. It was really interesting to see some guys had some tire strategies, and um, I, I I don't know I I don't think it's going to be that good of a race. I, I'm going to go in with a negative negative attitude, hoping for the best, but I just don't see anything. I don't see this kind of engine package and the way the Sabre Spacer is supposed to work, going to be working out in Atlanta. Right, yeah. I think it is kind of like wandering into into the unknown. We're not really, we're all kind of just in that wait and see right now. Um, as as far as as the race itself, who who do you like to, get, to take home the win here? Uh, I got Kyle Busch as my winner. I... I think it's going to come down. It's like I said, it's going to be the opposite of what he said. I think it's going to be the most talented driver and who can adapt quickest to any sort of uh, racing package we're going to have. And usually that's Kyle Busch. Kyle Busch is, we've seen it time and time again. He can get in just about anything and win in it. So I think he's going to rebound from his uh, disappointing second finish in the Daytona 500 and win this week. Yeah, you're right about Kyle Busch. He does you know, adapt as well as anyone. He's, he always seems like he's one of the drivers that's, that's just a step ahead that figures things out quicker than everyone else. As, as for, for this year, I'm going with Kevin Harvick. I'm going with a repeat champ. I think, you know, he's really going to look to bounce back after what was a disappointing weekend for, for not just him, but Stuart Haas racing as a whole, they didn't make much noise at all. So I'm going to look for Harvick to run really well at, at Atlanta this weekend. Yeah, those other guys thinking of was Harvick and Bush. They they seem to know how to run well and about anything. So, yeah, and then I'll let you give the little update here in our. I know you got a got an early lead, so I'll let you <laughs> you take that in our eliminator our pick 'em pool here. Yeah, last week in our eliminator bowl for the race winner, uh, Ted had Jimmy Johnson, and he ended up finishing ninth despite having little to no rear end of that car <laughs> left. So I had Ryan Blaney. He got caught up in that big one. He ended up finishing 31st. But the pick him, uh, Ted had Austin Dillon. He, he actually ended up finishing 16th despite being in that big crash. And yep. then I had Michael McDowell who ended up finishing fifth. So strong start to the year for me. I'm, I'm pretty proud of that. Absolutely. That's I a great pick. Too. 
Yeah, it was a good pick. I, two years in a row, I've gotten a top 10 and a top five out of him. So um, this week, I'm going to go with Ricky Stenhouse Jr., a little bit of another underdog pick. But I looked I looked up his uh, average finish the last two races was 14.5, which is actually like seventh on the list of active drivers. Mm-hmm. But I think he's going to benefit for this kind of tapered spacer package. I know it's going to be tough to pass, but you know Ricky Stenhouse really is one of those guys at the restricted plate races that just run up, runs up there, you know, up the, towards the front. Despite him crashing everyone last two years, um, but I think he's going to be a guy who really kind of adapts to this quicker, just because this is kind of his cup of tea, the restricted plates and the um, draft. So I'm I'm going to go with him. I think. I don't think he's going to have a top 10, but I think he's going to run probably I'll, I'll say he's going to run 12 this week and I'll take one of those. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a long season. I, I see where you're coming from and you know, I picked Harvick to win and I want to save Harvick for, for later in the season in this. So I'm going to go with his teammate though. I'm going to take Clint Boyer this weekend. You know, he was, he was running well in the Daytona 500. He, he tried to make a bold move late that didn't work out for him. But, you know, he finished third in Atlanta the last year. And even though this year is going to be a whole new ball game, we're not quite sure what to expect. He's confident. His crew chief's confident. So I'm going to go with Clint Boyer here in Atlanta. That's a good pick. He's a, he should be strong this week, too. He's And Atlanta's one of his better tracks. So that's a good pick. I'll, I'll definitely – I'm going to give the advantage to you on this one this week. But. I need to make up some ground. I can't fall behind too far too early. Yeah, exactly. So when we start getting in the big guys at at their tracks, it's gonna it'll be tough to uh, start making up points there. So for sure, Ben, appreciate it, man, and we'll talk to you all next time on Drop the Hammer.